you have your Bibles with you today, I really hope you do. I'll ask you to open them up to the book of Exodus, chapter 1. As Pastor Bobby mentioned, today we begin this new series in this book of Exodus. This is going to be a great series. Like he said, you don't want to miss a week as we go through this second book of the Bible together because it's teaching us who God is. The Old Testament exists to remind us of who God is in our life. Uh, Bobby mentioned there in that video, this story of Exodus is really this grand epic, right? We like epics. You think of the classic epics, the mythologies of Greece kind of remind us, they teach us about uh, faith and God and life and who we are as human beings. We think of even more current epics and you would think, man, is there really God in some of these? But you think of like Lord of the Rings and my favorite, this one here, Star Wars, right? Any Star Wars fans here? All right, there's some of us here. These are epics, and you think about the story of Star Wars, right? The battle of good against evil, the light against the dark, and having the power of the force within. Hey, this story's talking about God. These are stories that are first found in the Bible. And the book of Exodus is that same kind of epic. Uh, we find God, we find life, we find guidance, we find hope, we find faith, especially in these epics. Now, when you think about the book of Exodus, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of the book of Exodus? And I'm gonna venture a guess, I don't claim myself to be a prophet or anything like that, but uh, does this come to mind when you think about the book of Exodus, this right here? How many of you think that? Be honest if that's what you thought. Okay, yeah, it's, it's normal. A lot of us, when we think the book of Exodus, we think of the 1950s Cecil B. DeMille movie with Charlton Heston and his biceps, right? slamming down some uh, stone tablets there, uh, because that's kind of what we've been taught in culture. Uh, and there's some biblical truths found in this, but man, the book of Exodus is so much more than that. And I'm just excited that we get to go through this whole book over these next weeks as a church. Again, remember, uh, the book of Exodus is just one epic inside of a bigger epic story of God's great love and plan for all of us. The idea here, we, as we go through this book of Exodus, is that we would, you know, come to know our purpose more clearly. What is our purpose? To know and to love God. To know and to love Him. And we come to love Him by knowing Him. That word there in Scripture that means to know, it's a word we've talked a lot about here before. It's the word genesco. I have it here on your screen. That word genesco means to know. That is the Greek word to know. In Hebrew, it's the word yada, which is funny because you think of yada, 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 right? Uh, but in Hebrew, the word yada means to know, but in the Greek, genesco means to know. And what we're trying to do here over these weeks is that you would come to genesco God, that you would know him on a much deeper, more intimate level. I love the way this one website, Bible Study Tools, kind of defines the word genesco. This is what they say about it. This is what genesco means. And this is key for us today. Genesco is a combination of close, warm, and even passionate intimacy. So think about that. When you Genesco somebody, you know them closely, you know them warmly. It's, it's, it's beyond surface level. It's an intimate knowledge of somebody combined with head knowledge. So you're marrying kind of the intellect with the emotion. This knowledge produces an edge in a person's life that enables them to trust God and at the same time perceive what he is doing. 
When you know God in this level, it's easier for you to see the move of God in your life. It's, it's, it's more enabling and empowering for you to understand what God is doing maybe in the background or behind the scenes of your life. The things that are not so apparent, we begin to perceive them and come to know them when we genesco God. And our hope, our prayer, is that you would come to genesco God this way, through this series. Uh, Jesus speaks of this word as well. In John 10, we'll get to Exodus in a second, but in John 10, Jesus says this. He says, I am the good shepherd, and I genesco my sheep. Jesus knows you. He knows you because he's God. And because he's God, he's created you. He's knit you together. He, he, he's combined your, your talents, your skills, your, your abilities, your intellect, your emotions, your whole heart, your whole person. He's knitted those things together to make you uniquely you. And he's saying here, he knows you. And what? They genesco me. Do you know Jesus this way? He says, just as my father knows me, because him and his father are one, and I know the Father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Each week we're going to be focusing on one aspect of God, one truth of who God is in his person, in his character. And as we go through these week by week, our hope is that you will be able to frame a picture of who God is where you can leave this place and you can say, I, Genesco God, I know him. And because I know him, I could see him at work in my life. So today, the very first aspect of God that we're going to take on is the God who moves. Today's uh, message is entitled, The God Who Moves. And we'll be going through the first chapter of Exodus and, and a little bit into the second chapter. So begin reading along with me here in chapter 1, verse 1 in the book of Exodus. This is what the Bible says. It says, these are the names of the son of Israel, that is Jacob who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob and 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. In time, Joseph and all his brothers died ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Now you might be asking, what's up with these verses? I think we could skip those. I mean, those are not really important, right? It was just kind of like a list of names. As we went through that, you got the list of names of the sons of Jacob. And what is it saying? That they came and that they arrived and that they were there in, in the, the nation of, of Egypt. Um, it sounds a little boring. It sounds a little bland. But we cannot read scripture just at face value like that. You need to understand that the book of Exodus is not really the second book of the Bible. This is part two of five parts written by Moses. In our Bibles, there's, there's a book break and there's a chapter break, but the story wasn't written like that originally. It was written as one epic story. And this is a continuation of what God was doing in the book of Genesis. How many of you have seen TV shows that the episode starts by saying, previously on? Have you ever seen that in TV shows, right? 
and they give you kind of a view back of what happened in the previous episode. Here, uh, Moses is writing this, and he's saying previously in God's story in the book of Genesis, uh, Jacob and all of his descendants moved into Egypt. It's a continuation here. Um, It's a reminder that God never stops moving and that God is faithful. Here's the first thing I want you to know about God who moves. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The God who moves keeps his promises. The God who moves keeps his promises. How do we see that through this? Well, you need to go back 500 years before this where God made a covenant with a man named Abram. And he told Abram, Abram, I will make a great nation out of you and your descendants will be more bountiful than the sand and the stars in the sky. This was an agreement, a covenant between God and Abraham that was made 500 years before this. In Genesis 15, God tells Abraham, he says, look, your people will be enslaved for 400 years, but yet, I will be moving, I will be working in your nation. I will remain faithful to my covenant, to my promise with you. And if you span the book of Genesis from chapter 15 to chapter 50, what do we see? God moving, God is moving in the life of Abraham. God moves in the life of Isaac. God moves in the life of Jacob. God moves in the life of Joseph. Throughout the whole story, God is reminding us, I am always moving. Joseph, consider his story. He's sold out by his own brothers. He's betrayed. He's enslaved. He's wrongly imprisoned. And still, God is faithful to his promises and moving in the nation of Israel, even through that man's life. Because God would use Joseph and use him and position him in a place where he would bless his enemies and help them survive a famine. And here we see that after this, Joseph and all the brothers are gone, but yet this baby nation, all right, consider this, this baby nation of 70 people, of 70, there's more than 70 of us in this room, so this room here would probably be double of the nation of Israel, yet in the midst of 500 years of travail, of struggle, of strife, of drama, of conflict, God was still moving, and this little baby nation of 70 makes it into Egypt. God is reminding us that he's always moving. He's always moving. Joseph would say this in the book of Genesis chapter 50 where he said, look, This is Joseph at the end of his life. He's speaking to his descendants and he's saying, look, I'm going to die soon. But God, and if there's two more powerfuls in all scripture, it's but God. How many of you could relate to that? Man, I was struggling. I was down on my luck. I was in my darkest season. But God stepped in. How many of you could connect to that idea that, man, it felt like there was no way forward for me. You know what? I thought it was the end of my story. It was my darkest moment. But God did something. Here, Joseph is saying, look, all of our generation is going to die. The 12 of us brothers, this, this, this people that have been blessed and, and touched by God, we're going to be gone. But God will surely come and help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt, lead you out of slavery. And he will bring you back to the land that he promised you, that he promised Abram 500 years ago. 
this land that is flowing with milk and honey. That's what, what Joseph is telling us here. And you cannot read just that list of names and say, oh, this is boring. This is just a list of names. Could we skip this? No, you can't. That's a reminder that God is faithful to his promises. Because if he promised it 500 years ago, he was still working through those 70 that made it into Egypt. Over time, you saw God's hand protect, his hand provided, his hand performed miracles. God was actively moving. Why? Because he is the God who moves. I'm sure there were seasons where, where the nation of Israel didn't feel like God was moving, couldn't see that God was moving, felt like God had abandoned him. And maybe you're here and you're saying, lately it feels like God's not moving. It feels like God's not working. I don't see anything happening. But behind the scene, God never sleeps. God never slumbers. God doesn't take a day off. Hey, God doesn't have a three-day weekend this weekend. God is always working. God is always moving. My question to you is, do you have eyes to see it? Do you genesco him that closely that you can perceive the move of God in your life? This is not a list. This is not a rundown. This is God reminding us that he uses your past. He uses your present to shape your future. Somebody needs to hear that today. Because you're wondering, God, where were you in my past? I don't feel you now. But God is setting up your future because he doesn't sleep, he doesn't slumber, he doesn't take a day off. God is always moving. And the God who moves is faithful to his promises. Now, here you might have a question, well, how come God waits how come God couldn't just make them a great nation like right away? And, and that seems like a valid question, especially in today's culture where we don't like waiting for things, right? We want things and we want things right now. I like to say we live on an on-demand culture. We live in a microwave culture. We want to go from zero to 60 in 2.3 seconds. We want our dinner heated up in 90 seconds. We want the miracle now. God, if you're God, make it happen now. It seems like a legit question. But why would God let this country linger for 500 years? Here's why, because process matters to God. Man, you need to hear this. Process matters to God. Um, the process matters just as much as the destination. Here's why process matters to God, because it's through the process of trial, it's through the process of grief, it's through the process of suffering, it's through the process of loss that we get to know who God is. If God gave you everything you wanted it, when you wanted it, we would become entitled, spoiled children. And to not be that in our life, God allows process to happen. He allows choices to happen in our life. And listen, all of us have a choice. God gives choices. And in the process of your choices, whether good or bad, whether you embrace God or you reject him, God is moving in your process. The journey of faith. I want you to think back of your life and say, man, God, now that I look back, I saw that you were moving through this season. Man, when I was in it, I didn't see it. But now looking back, I could see it. 
right? It's, it's the analogy of driving through the storm when you're in a car and you're driving through a bad thunderstorm. When you're looking out of the, the front windshield, everything looks dark, everything is chaotic, it's hard to see, the wipers are going, there's wind, there's rain, there's hail, there's thunder, there's lightning, you don't know how you're going to make it, should I pull over, should I keep going? Everything's questioned, everything's a big question mark, nothing is for certain, you feel like your life is in danger at times, and when you look at life through the windshield, it's hard. It's hard not to be scared. It's hard not to be afraid. It's hard not to wonder, God, where are you? But when you break into a clearing and you're able to see through the rear view of what you've been through, clarity is always in the rear view mirror. Because as you look back at moments in your life, that's when you say, man, God, you were there. Through the storm, God, you were with me, you were protecting me, you were shielding me, you were providing for me, you were leading me, you were guiding for me. Hey, brother, hey, sister, if you are in the windshield of a storm, keep pressing through. God is moving, God is doing something. And when you break into that clearing, you'll be able to look back and say, thank you, God, for what you've done in my life. The process, listen to this, process and Israel here was in a process because Israel was going to suffer. The process is part of your preparation. Remember that. When God has you in, 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 in hard times, your process is part of your preparation. It's God equipping you, it's God empowering you, it's God enabling you for your greater purpose. And never despise the process because God moves in the process. And your process are always backed by his promises. Let's continue reading here in verse 8. We're still in Exodus chapter 1. Eventually, a new, king, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from our country. A new king comes onto the scene. Plot twist. These two nations that had lived in peace for generations no longer live in peace. There's political change, there's societal change. And this insecure leader, his name was Pharaoh, Ramses, he, he comes up to, par, to, to, to power in Egypt, and his goal is to break the people of Israel. His goal is to stop them from growing. He's a little insecure. He's a little bit uh, um, uh, threatened by what God has been doing in this people. So he says, we must do something to break these people. Now listen, when, whenever a political leader enters the scene and works against a people, uh, that's their prerogative. They could do that. This man had power. But this man had crossed the line. You need to see this. This man had crossed the line when he had said, we need to stop these people from growing. How did he cross the line? Well, he was now coming against the promise of God. And whenever a political leader crosses lines and comes against the power of God, man, they have wrath. They will suffer wrath, they will suffer judgment, and they themselves will suffer. This man had crossed the line when he said, we're gonna go against these people and we're gonna try to stop the plan of God. Listen, breaking news, you cannot stop the plan of God. 
there's no power on earth that could stop the plan of God. And this man had crossed the line when he said, this nation, we need to stop them. We need to keep them from growing. What was his plan? Let's look at it. Beginning in verse 11, we see that that Pharaoh wants to enslave the Hebrews. He enslaves them. He treats them brutally with crushing labor, the Bible says. He makes them build cities for him. Guess what? Didn't work. Why? Because there's no power on earth that could stop the plan of God. Exodus 1.12 says, But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread. Why? Because God moves and God is faithful to his promises. So what does the enemy do when he can't get you at one thing? He turns up the heat. Verses 13 and 14 said that they made them make bricks of straw, made their life miserable, treated them ruthlessly, and still the Israelites pushed through and continued to grow. So what does Pharaoh do? He turns up the heat again. And in verse 15, we see that Pharaoh gives an order, and this is pure evil. Pharaoh gives the order that the midwives, the women that were there to help birth the children that would grow into former, into up-and-coming slaves, the midwives were to kill all male babies. That comes straight from Pharaoh. He said, this is the way we'll control them from repopulating. Let's kill all the male children. If there are female children, they can live. But all the male children must die as soon as they're born. How many of you know that there's no power on earth that can stop the plan of God? Look at verse 17. It says, but because the midwives feared God, these women, these women who understood you're, you're just a man and you're asking us to go against the plan of God because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders, so they allowed the boys to live to this act of civil disobedience to political pressure leads to blessing. And the boys are allowed to live because the midwives refuse to be complicit with Pharaoh. Now, now look at what God does for these women. Look at verse 20. So God was good to the midwives. God was good to the midwives. God was faithful to the midwives. And the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. God blessed them for their civil disobedience. God blessed them, not because they had a scary fear of God. These women had a reverent fear of God. You know what leads to a reverent fear of God? When you know who he is. When you genesco him. It enables you to say, I will step out in defiance of the Pharaoh because I know, one, my God is greater, and two, my God will bless me for it. And God did it for them. Why? Because God, who moves, is faithful to his promises. Now, did this stop Pharaoh? Unfortunately, it didn't stop Pharaoh. He issues a new decree. He says, fine, the midwives want to disobey me, that's fine. Now it's everyone's responsibility. You see a male child born of Hebrew blood, you are to throw them into the Nile River. It's now all hands on deck. It's everyone on board. We don't care who you are, midwife or not a midwife. You see a male Hebrew 
newborn baby, you throw them into the Nile River. This is pure evil here. And this now ushers into a dark time in the history of the people. And here's the second thing I want to tell you about the God who moves. Not only is he faithful to his promises, this is so important today. The God who moves is present in your dark moments. Even in your darkest moments, the God who moves is present in them. And he's working through them. We see that God has not forgotten his promises for his people. Even in the hardships, God responds to the injustice and to the pain. This is from chapter 3. I want to jump ahead. You don't need to turn there. But, but, but this is uh, God speaking to Moses. This is God, uh, you know, this is going to happen uh, in the future here. Years into the future, God would speak these words to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And listen to what God says. And there's somebody here today, you've been wondering, does God see me? Does God know what I'm going through? Does God hear my cries? Does God hear my prayers? This promise here that, that, that God speaks in Exodus 3 is still true today. He says, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress. Yes, I am aware of their suffering, and I have come down to rescue them. If you've ever wondered, man, God, do you hear? Do you see? Do you know what I'm going through? God sees you. God knows you. And God hears you. And his promise is that surely he will come and rescue you. Amen. The God who moves is present even in your darkest moments. Can we bust the myth today that exists in Christianity that if you love God and you follow God, you won't suffer? Can we just bust that myth right now? There's many people in this room, you already know that to be true because you've lived through it. But for those of you who are wondering, you know, this God thing sounds really attractive because I've heard or I've been told, you know, as long as I love God and, and I give my life to Jesus, I won't suffer. I won't have to deal through hardship anymore. No, suffering is part of the deal. Why? Because we're human. And like I said earlier, humans have power of choice. And humans can either reject God or receive God. And just because you reject God doesn't mean you lose the power to keep on choosing. And when people in the world reject God, it causes issues, it causes problems, it causes strife. And here, the choices to reject God were Pharaoh's, and Pharaoh's alone. Did that cause suffering for everybody? It did. And when humans' choices cause suffering in our life, even if you're a follower of Jesus, it will come to your doorstep as well. But guess what? Even in our bad choices, even in the suffering of humanity, God is still moving. God is still faithful. Even Pharaoh sees it here. And the more he fails, the harder he tries. And the more he tries, the more the people grow. The more they multiply, the stronger they get. The plan of God will always triumph over the plan of man. You see it in the lives of the midwives, their choices, their consequences. What happened? Their lives were multiplied. Their testimony was built on this reverent 
fear of God. Now listen, I don't know what trials you're going through here today. I don't know what hardships you're dealing with, but I know that God sees you. I know God hears you. I know God is aware of it. I know his heart breaks over your pain and he wants to come and rescue and restore because God moves in the process. Nothing can stop the plan of God. He'll use the evil of humanity to fulfill the purposes that he has in your life. Joseph knew this. Joseph understood this. Again, back to Genesis chapter 50. He's telling his brothers, he says, look, you intended to harm me. You intended to do evil to me. Here's those words again. Here's those powerful words again that changes things, that comes in and rewrites your story. Hey, they might be people who are trying to harm you. There's evil that's trying to be done to you. But God, but God, but God will use it to accomplish his purposes. God is present even in your darkest moments. Listen, brother, listen, sister, you're never alone. God is always there and God is always moving. I know it's easy to forget when you're in a difficult chapter of your life, you think that this is gonna be your whole story. I know it's easy to get consumed in dark moments because it's all around you, but God knows your beginning, God knows your present, and God is using it to write your future. Do you see it? Do you know him as the God who moves? Again, you might be saying, well, why can't God just snap a finger and get me there already? Why can't God just, why couldn't God just snap a finger and take him out of Egypt and put him into Canaan? Why couldn't God just take him from slavery to, 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 to milk and honey? I mean, God, he's powerful enough to do that. Great question. Great question, and I respect the question. But remember, God will use the process. And here's a big point. God bringing us through pain. Listen to this. God bringing us through the pain, through it, is just as important as God bringing you out of the pain. I know it doesn't make sense to you. God bringing us through pain and darkness is just as important to him than it is him bringing us all the way out of it. Why? Because it's through the process of pain that we come to Genesco him, that you become to know him in that deeper, intimate way. The reminder that the process matters. Listen, brother, listen, sister, God is not done with you. And even when it hurts, God is always moving. Let's go to chapter two. Let's begin to wrap this up. So in chapter two, something starts to happen. There is a Levite man and a Levite woman who have a baby, a baby that should be destined for death. This mother hides this baby for three months. And in Exodus chapter two, verse three, this is what the Bible says. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. This Levite woman has this baby that should be destined for death. 
but yet in civil disobedience out of reverence and fear for God, she covers him, she protects him, and she places him in a basket. It's interesting, just side note, the same word used for basket here is the same word used for the ark. The ark that protected, the, light, the ark that provided um, a space for Noah and, and, and the animals and his family, this is God's protection, God's divine protection, an ark being put around this baby. Now, you might be thinking, man, this is kind of rough. This sister needs to see her little baby brother go down the river. I mean, what could possibly happen? Something horrible is probably going to happen here. And listen, of all the things who happens, guess who finds the baby? Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby. Now, you might think this is the worst thing that could happen. Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby. For sure she's going to turn the basket over and drown this child because her own father has given this command. But just like any typical teenager, this young girl disobeys her father. <laughs> this young teenage girl says, no, daddy, it ain't going to go down that way. And she keeps the baby for herself. In a twist of irony, this young teen, mother, this young teen uh, daughter of, of Pharaoh's knows she cannot nurse this child, so she requests that a Hebrew woman be found to nurse the child. And of all people that God would choose to nurse this baby, his own biological mother is brought to him to nurse him. The providence and the protection of a divine power, the ark, coming true for this baby's life. And this woman would nurse this baby knowing it was her own, but, but the young teenage daughter would never have a clue about this. And in Exodus chapter 2, verse 10, it says, Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses. For she explained, I have lifted him out of the water. Man, the plot twist here. Disaster turned to celebration. This was just a preview of what was to come. Not only is the God who moves faithful to his promises, the God who moves is with you in your darkest moments, but I also want you to know this. This is the last point. The God who moves uses even the least likely of people. The God who moves uses the least likely of people. When we really examine this story, let's look at the people that God used. They're not who you would think. There was some willing people. Moses' parents, they made choices. They were willing in this. Uh, the sister of Moses was willing to watch him as he floated down the river. The midwives were willing as they disobeyed uh, Pharaoh and obeyed God. They helped make this possible. But we could also say that God used Pharaoh, this insecure leader, to kickstart all of this. The grand redemption plan of God for his people was started by an unwilling, evil, insecure leader named Pharaoh. Can we say that he used Pharaoh's daughter, who's out for an afternoon swim, 
and unknowingly, unwillingly, she becomes part of the plan of God. And we could also say that God unwillingly used Moses. He was just along for the ride. He had no clue what God was going to do in his life. But yet, as a newborn, God was already moving because God uses the even most likely to change the world. Man, in these times, women, children, villains, they were forgotten. And here, they're center stage in God's story. Remember, God will use who he wants. Did you hear that? God will use who he wants, willing or unwilling. He's in control. He's all-powerful. People, we're not. Pharaoh thought he was in control. God was using him as well to bring redemption, to bring liberty, and to bring his people out of slavery. What does this teach us? That if God could use Pharaoh, guess what? Newsflash, God could use you too. God could use you too. Don't believe in the lie that God cannot use you. Don't believe in the lie that your life is too far gone, that you've messed up too bad, that you've done too many wrong things, you've hurt too many people. No, if God could use Pharaoh, guess what? God could use you too. God wants to bring you into a place of freedom where you know him, where you're restored, where you're redeemed, where you're renewed, where you could break free of the shame, of the embarrassment, of all the labels of your past, and you could surrender him to him and see his move in your life. God wants to use you. If he could use these people in this story, he will use you as well. God is always moving, church. Do you see it? Or are you living with spiritual shades on that prevents you from seeing the move of God in your life? Have you been living in a place where the busyness of life, where your tasks and your responsibilities have become so distracting that you cannot see the move of God? Listen, and when it comes to faith, uh, believing is seeing. It's through believing that you come to see God being faithful to his promises. It's through believing come to see that God is there in the dark moments. It's through believing that you come to see and know that God will use the most unlikely of people. Remember this, God is always moving. And he's moving in your life. Can we stand together?